You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. All right, church. Let's, um, let's think theologically. Today is Stand Sunday. Uh, Stand Sunday is a Sunday that we acknowledge every year and have acknowledged for 11 years. Um, I've been here 12, so the first year we didn't, the second year we did. I've acknowledged uh, in my life Stand Sunday for a long, long time. Uh, Stand Sunday used to be called Orphan Sunday. It's on the church calendar. Today is what people used to call Orphan Sunday that we call um, with a new movement of folks uh, has now been renamed Stand Sunday. I think I like Stand Sunday even better than Orphan Sunday uh, because of what Stand invites. Now, if you're new to WCC, this may be some new information for you. If you're not new to WCC, we do this every year, and you all know we just, get out, we just got out of a Matthew 25 series. We don't just talk about this one Sunday a year. It doesn't fly if you talk about it one Sunday a year anyway, but we want to make sure that at least there's one Sunday every year where even if, for whatever reason, we are not moving in the direction God wants us to, be, to move, that we are jolted back into this direction by way of the calendar. But I want to think theologically. I want to think biblically about what it means um, to have a God who welcomes all, who is a divine and generous and gracious homemaker. Everybody say homemaker. God who is a home-making God. So in the Genesis narrative, we see God making room in God's life, this infinite, omnipresent life for a finite and limited creation And that includes us. And God doesn't do so stoically. God doesn't do so out of obligation. But God does it out of love and not of desire. As a homemaking God who creates a world for inhabitation. A world for us to call home. God welcomes us into God's life. And shares all that God has and all that God is. Our God is a homemaking, hospitable God. And hospitality is central to God's own triune being. And over again, over and again, again, I want you to think biblically, I want you to think theologically, over and again in the scriptures, God is seen as a gracious and generous homemaker whose hospitality is always connected to God's sovereign presence and God's provision. So you think about it, from the wilderness of the Exodus to Galilee, God is providing sustenance to the hungry. God is providing sustenance to the ungrateful. Like Israel, our identity, which God includes uh, being displaced foreigners and strangers, are wholly dependent upon God. We see that in Israel, in the Exodus. Whereas displaced, newly liberated, formerly enslaved, Now foreigners and strangers in a land that is not their own as they travel, they are wholly dependent upon God's welcome and upon God's provision. And we are the same. If we think theologically we're the same, except now we are no longer displaced. Right? God has naturalized us as citizens in God's kingdom. You get a chance, read it, Ephesians 2, 12 through 19. We are no longer estranged. God has adopted us. Everybody say adopted. God has adopted us and called us as children and made us members of his household. 
We were not born of Jewish descent and Jewish ethnicity. Not, not all of us. Maybe some were. Not all of us were. And so we were grafted in. And the biblical language used, the language used to talk about the grafting is the language of adoption. Because we were once orphans. Locked down and lost in the reign of sin and death, wandering, chasing smoke. You know what smoke can do, right? You can see smoke. It can even kill you, but you can't bottle it and keep it forever. It eventually goes away. But we were all chasing smoke. Priorities and plans and hopes and dreams and ideologies. And, and Yahweh rescued us. But Yahweh didn't rescue us just as a God who has pity on a creation. God rescued us as a divine parent who was a divine homemaker who longs to make a home with us and welcome us home. And I think Paul's getting at this in Galatians chapter 4. And we read it in our confession, that whole baptismal identity piece. So out of that baptismal identity that Paul talks about, he talks about this idea that we're all heirs of God's promises. Everybody say heirs. We are an heir of God's promises made to Abraham. And that's important because we've got to think theologically. We've got to think biblically. We're people of the book. People who follow Jesus. We use the book to talk about Jesus and help us get there and understand what that means. We need to think that way about, about our own story. So we think biblically and we think about how we're heirs of God's promises made to Abraham because through Christ we find our lineage. Through Christ we find our ancestry dating back to Abraham by faith. And we know this because we used to sing it in VBS in Sunday school, right? Father Abraham had many sons. Come on. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I'm one of him, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Whoop, whoop, whoop. No? Okay, y'all did better than first service. I just want to say, they always struggling with no coffee. But y'all did all right. But see, that we've been singing about it because it's theologically true. But the biblical language for that is this idea of adoption. Chapter 4, verse 4, when the time came to completion, God sent a son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive, everybody say it with me, adoption as, everybody say it, sons and daughters. Now, what's the language of sons and daughters? What's that language? That's home language, isn't it? That's parent language, isn't it? That's kinship language, isn't it? We are siblings. Citizens of the kingdom of God made children of the household of God grafted in to the very heart and soul of God and adopted into God's family as children. And that's what a divine homemaker does. And so Paul goes on and says, And because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of a son into our hearts crying, what? Abba, Father. Abba, that Jewish word for Papa. So you are no longer a slave. You're no longer held under the reign of sin and death, captive to trying to chase smoke and work your way out. Locked in. You are no longer a slave, but a what? Son and daughter. And if a son and daughter, then God has made you what? An heir. But in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. That's the smoke. 
in a land of empty promises, in all of our news media shows, and all of the ideological drawing out, and all of the plans and priorities, and the way we try to organize around our nuclear families. Come on now. We're called into something bigger, something deeper. Verse 9, but now since you know God, and I love what Paul does. He makes a correction. Paul doesn't want us to miss something. He goes, or rather, read it with me, have become known by God. I love the way Paul's saying it. Paul's writing this out. He's like, now that you know God, he's like, no, 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 no. I need y'all to know that y'all are known because y'all are sons and daughters. I'm talking about all this sons and daughters thing. Fathers and par- parents know their children. You are known by God. The divine parent knows the children. How can you turn back, he says, again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You want to keep chasing smoke? No. And he goes on and then he eventually says in chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom, what? Christ has set us free. My Lord, we've got freedom all screwed up, don't we? We think a nation can give us freedom. We think we can give our children freedom. And we can. And it can. But not this kind. For freedom you've been set free. You've been liberated. God liberates God's children. You are a child of God. And not just any kind of child. You are a son and daughter. Not just any kind of son and daughter. You are a part of the royal lineage of of God dating back to the promises of God made to Abraham a long, long time ago. And you don't, not, you don't, you don't just know God. You are known by God. And when we were displaced and orphaned in our own pursuits of smoke, locked under the reign of sin and death, incapable of breaking ourselves free. God's love was God's stubborn refusal as a divine parent to let us be condemned, to let us condemn ourselves. And God has promised you and me because this is what good parents do, an inheritance, an inheritance of a new name, an inheritance of a new eternity, an inheritance of a new now. Because we are the children of God. Because we have found our home with God. We've been adopted by God. As this divine parent and gracious and generous homemaker makes a home with us and calls us children. Beloved, we know home. Home is where we flourish. It's a place of nurturing. Even when there's conflict. Everybody say conflict. Like even when there's conflict, home can still be a place of nurturing. It's a place of generosity and responsibility. Everybody say generosity. Everybody say responsibility. This is what home is. And home is this place of security. It's this place where there is boundaries marked by commitments and values and practices and stories and and habits and, and things and meaning. Meaning that is special and specific to the people living there. Home is a place where these boundaries are necessary to mark off clear spaces and concrete identities in all dimension. Physical, emotional, social, spiritual, cognitive. While also not allowing these boundaries to be 
barriers of exclusion. These boundaries are meant to be so fully and beautifully inclusive that they tell us where we belong. Home is a means of orientation. Everybody say orientation. You know what I mean when I say orientation? I mean what we're oriented toward, where we're headed, where we're going. It's a means by which we orient ourselves toward a life-giving narrative. And it's more than a place. And we know it always has been. It can be a place. But it's a people. And it had always been a people. Aren't there those people you just feel at home with baptismal waters is thicker than blood beloved may God let it be so see we've heard the words of Jesus and his announcement of God's kingdom we've repented and believed we've become citizens of this eternal kingdom heirs of this promise adopted as God's beloved and God shows us through Jesus that God isn't just a father out there in some abstract way. God is an Abba. God is a Papa. And that's something altogether deeper and beautiful. And one of the things that Scripture does is it doesn't just let us hear a message like this and just rejoice and say, there we are. We're all children of God and we're heirs of the promises of God and we're sons and daughters of God and and that changes everything. And it does. I mean, are y'all seeing that this is good news? Like the good news is we're not wandering lost and displaced in the world that God has called us God's own and we have an inheritance that is being poured out to us right now. That is the belief of Christian faith. That is Christian faith. That's the core of Christian faith. But it's not enough for us to just sing songs about how God is love and then leave a gathering and then go out into the world and be like, God loves y'all, good luck. Like we have, been, we have found a home with a divine homemaker and we now are summoned, everybody say summoned, to become homemakers. We are summoned to join the homemaking God in God's own pursuit of making a home with others. And this is a beautiful gift. But I'll be, man, it is incredibly inconvenient. In every conceivable way. Oh, it is. And so what the scripture never does is just leave it at that. So James, brother Jesus, he's writing to these Christians and he's pulling off the same, he's, he's riffing off the same theology. He's drawn from the same, from the same thing catching shade under the same tree, drinking from the same water, and he knows what it means to be a child of God. He knows what it means to have the adoption shored up in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And so he goes through this great discourse, and in the beginning he says, man, y'all are going to suffer, but but hold on to it. Hold on to faith. It'll turn into perseverance. It'll turn into something beautiful. And then he goes through that, and he says, if you lack wisdom, God will give it to you. Just ask God for wisdom, because God's a good father. He'll give it. He has no, he doesn't change his mind. God is good. And then he says, and what I need y'all to remember is to be doers of the, of the word. Don't just be hearers. This is what James says. James says, stop hearing about it. You got to do something with it. It's got to look like something. Everybody say, it's got to look like something. It's got to look like something. So then he goes on, and he says, so here's one of the ways it looks like. Pure and undefiled religion is this. Pure and undefiled religion before God, the what? Father is this. 
to look after, say it, orphans and in their distress and widows in their distress to keep oneself unstained from the world. And that's not where he lands. It's not the only thing he says. And we often read that on an Orphan Sunday or a Stand Sunday and we think that's it and we talk about that. But that's not where he goes. He keeps going. See, in our Bibles we have chapters and verses and numbers. But this is a letter. So James keeps going. He says, my brothers and sisters. Everybody say brothers and sisters. Come on. What language is brothers and sisters? What language is it? It's family language. It's kinship language, right? That's household language. He says, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say to them, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, sit here on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear, what? Brothers and sisters. Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Oh, come on, James. You've been listening to that liberal media. Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? You've dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was, involved, that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law, what's the language of royal? That's kingship language. That's kingdom language. That's political language. Everybody say political. You ain't supposed to say that in church. That's kingdom language. Royal law. Law's language. Law's political language. The royal law. Prescribed. Prescribed. Not described. Not suggested. Prescribed in the scripture. Everybody read with me. Love your neighbor as yourself. You were doing well. That's what he's saying. If you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture. If you forgot everything that there was to know about Jesus. But the one thing you did do was take Jesus seriously enough to fulfill the royal law that is described in Scripture, then what? <clears throat> prescribed in Scripture. Then what does he say? You were doing what? You're doing well. It's got to look like something. Always has. Because as the beloved of God, who have found our home with God, we cannot just sit at home. We are called to build bigger tables, build bigger living rooms, add on to our bedrooms, to build a bigger house that all can come and be a part of the household of God. And you know what? Sometimes that means literally. This isn't just spiritual. Come on, you with me? This isn't just spiritual. We spiritualize this stuff. We spiritualize these all the time. We spiritualize Bible all the time. This isn't just spiritual. This is also reality, concrete. And in this church, we talk about displacement. We talk about our neighbors living through homelessness, and we've done this. But today, we want to drill it down into what James is really getting at when he's saying the least of these, and particularly 
the vulnerable called the orphaned. About several years ago, I think 2012, we caught word that there were over 200 orphans in Africa. They were AIDS orphans, and they were abandoned and being abused and being burned and being pinned up and being chained up. And we had a, <clears throat> we had a Kenyan pastor who was a dear friend that we were supporting. He was visiting the States, visiting the church, and he told us this story. Now, what you got to know is a year before that, a year prior to that, we had asked this church to pay down the debt. We're a debt-free church. We asked the church to pay down the debt. So we asked the church. We were a small church, socioeconomically diverse as we are now, but even smaller. And we asked everybody to give above and beyond to God, not to the church, to God, so that we could be debt-free, over $200,000 debt, be debt-free and do the work of God, right? So we could do it without question. Are you with me? So we did it for a whole year. And you, you know, people just, God just showed up. Like people just gave to God and God multiplied because here's the reality. You have a divine inheritance as a member of the household of God. You won't run out of resources. You will be exhausted and it will get tight, but you won't go broke. You won't go broke in your time. You won't go broke in your finances and you won't go emotionally broke unless you try to do it on your own. But we either believe that we are or we don't. And this church had a posture to believe that it was, that God would provide. So for a year, we did it. And then we did it. We wrote the check. We even like, man, it was a whole thing. We like put a paper shredder up here and we shredded the blown documents. Woo! Y'all remember that? Shredded that. And we were like, woo, let's go. And then like three months later, we hear about 250-something AIDS orphans in Africa getting burned and abused. We're like, well, we got to do something. So we asked him, what do you need? He said, they need a place to live. Well, you know, the good news is we've been helping people in our city find housing for a couple of years. So that wasn't new to us, was it? We were just going to try to figure out how to do it in Kenya. So for a year, we asked this church to take on yet another campaign. Back to back. Churches don't do this. $117,000 later at the end of the year. When really all we needed was 105. We built a children's home. By the grace of God. Will you, uh, Kim, will you go to that? Yeah. We drilled two wells. Changed the lives of the village. No longer are they walking miles for clean water. 200 children have a home. Met with the elders of the community. That's me, by the way, poor now. I was, I was, I was thinner then. Um, that, we, we, met with the, we met with the elders of the village. Next slide. Uh, where we met with them, and they, they canceled everything for a day so they could meet with us. And the, the, they, they, they came to see, the language in the village was, God has visited Taraqua. And they came to know Jesus, and it started a church. And it changed the school. The school was the poorest performing school in Kenya. It became one of the top performing schools in Kenya. We you know, added 250 children to the school roll. So you know what we had to do? We had to hire teachers. So you know what this ended up doing? And this is what we wanted to do in the first place. We wanted to do economic development rather than paternalistic great white hope strategies. Y'all with me on that? We wanted to build jobs. 12 new jobs that are still permanently at work. A pre-kindergarten and a kindergarten called Williamsburg Christian Academy. Two wells, 
a home. And since then, 12 jobs, 22 people have been employed through those jobs, a church that has been planted, a home that currently houses 118, that has changed the lives of 347 children, who between 347 and 118, I don't know who does math, but the difference of that, are the children who have either found a home back with their family, or they have worked themselves into jobs and careers and are moving on in Kenya. That is the work of God. But it takes a community of people being committed to homemaking. Then we partnered with Orphan Network just about a year ago, which um, does the same exact thing in Nicaragua. Beautiful organization. Beautiful organization that does the same thing uh, in uh, 31,000 children who have been orphaned in Nicaragua have found hope and goodness and beauty. What, what we love about Orphan Network is what we love about CRF is they work through local people who live there, who are part of the community. It is their life, their world, their context, their garden, and they are tilling and working their garden. And all we do is come behind them to support them to lead their own lives in their own place. And they do it through the local church because that's what the church is supposed to be. And that's who we're called to be. And that's the legacy of what you new folks who've come into the family, some of the newer siblings are stepping into. And it's time to move forward. We have in a ministry here called Foster Love. It's a WCC ministry specific to us. And it's always been designed over the last three years to support the families who are moving through adoption or moving through fostering. Now what many of you may not know about me is Allison and I have been on the adoption journey. We began our adoption journey in 2011, and we went four years through that adoption journey at $22,000 just to have two adoption failures and one very last minute, one that was utterly heartbreaking. And we decided after four years we just didn't have it anymore, and maybe God had something else in mind, and it wasn't that. We'll just hang it up with Ian and call it a day. Well, years later, this young man that we knew since he was 10 years old needed a home things that happened in his life and he needed a place to be at home his mama wanted him home and he didn't want to be at home and he needed a place to be and so we became legal guardians of javari and he has become a part of our family latanya his mother who loves him passionately and faithfully is now our sister we co-parent this 20 year old grown boy um, becoming a man together and if we'd have had another child in the home I'm not sure we would have been able to take in Javari and be able to love him where he calls me pops and he calls Allison ma and we move forward but see we're not the only ones we needed to create a ministry to support families who were in the foster care journey and who are in the adoptive journey and this way of ministry is a way that all of us can do something. We can't be somebody for we can't be everything to everybody, but we can be something to somebody. And we had to find a way to organize as a community. And one of the families that ended up going on the adoptive journey is the Childresses. So Stephanie, you want to come up here? Because they didn't figure that the 230 children they currently had was enough that they wanted to have 330 children instead. <laughs> Go ahead. Hey, everybody. Thank you for letting me share my story. I know a single mom who needs a ride to church. Do you think you could help her out? That is how our adoption journey began. 
Our family had been living into WCC's commitment of loving the least for some time at this point, and the request seemed simple enough. That one yes, however, led to many more opportunities to say yes. Choosing to say yes has been one of the hardest things our family has ever done, and one of the biggest blessings we have ever received in our lives. We are now in the process of adopting the four children of the single mom who needed a ride to church. When mom became too sick to care for her children, social, social services started looking for a placement. Because of our previous relationship of loving these children, for God's sake, we were able to become a fictive kin placement. Because of our desire to love in the eyes of the courts, we are considered family, despite no blood relation. Our family had to choose to say yes from the very beginning and continue to say yes despite the hardships. Overnight, our family grew from eight, which I know is already large, to 12. That is not an easy transition. But the thing is, we didn't say yes alone. <clears throat> this church agreed to say yes with us. Yes, we will support you. Yes, we will be there for you. We were supported with meals, time, money, and most importantly, prayer. The Foe and Anderson families bought us beds so the kids had somewhere to sleep. The Davenport family sent us clothing and gift cards to help outfit the kids. The Quozo family offered to babysit every week for a year and give Larry and I a break from the horde of children at home. <laughs> the Wolf family brought a meal every week for months just to give us a break one night a week from cooking. And currently, Danny Poe has been working for months to help us add another bed bathroom in our home. Every Sunday, I am given a hug by someone in the congregation and offered a word of encouragement. To those who think that's not much, I would disagree. Knowing that the people who are committed to this shared life are thinking of you and praying for you can make all the difference in the world. No gesture is ever too small. Adopting four children and becoming the parents of 10 <laughs> would be one of the hardest things we've ever done but it is also the most life-giving and rewarding. We are always told how lucky we are that the kids get to be adopted by us, but the truth is, we're the lucky ones. We're the ones who get to watch these amazing kids grow in love, all because we chose to say yes. On this adoption day, we would like to thank everyone in this congregation who has supported our family and made this possible. Thank you. There's something everybody can do, right? Everybody, truly everybody. Give mom and dad a break, meals, prayers. There's something tangibly everybody can do. But not just them, we have the Allen family. If you don't know this, uh, and especially if you've been absent during COVID, you came back and all of a sudden they have more children. In other words, don't drink the coffee in WCC. Um, no, it's a beautiful thing because it's the same need, and God has grown their family. Now, if you'd asked the Liggins, and you'd asked the Childresses, and you'd asked the Allens before they became a part of this church if they would have ever considered adopting, I guarantee you the answer, it would have been no. The Holy Spirit will do what the Holy Spirit will do, however the Holy Spirit desires to do it. The question is, will we play our part? Will we join God in it? And I'm grateful for Randall. Come on up, bro. Our time is a little slimmer this time. Randall and Kelly Nichols are another family. 
Now, it would be real easy, um, if you'll go to the slide for them, it'd be real easy to say, well, they're a family in ministry, but I want to I circle back at the end. They're also an adoptive family themselves. And in the same way that we provide love and support for the Childresses, and in the same way we provide love and support for the Allens, we can provide love and support for them. Because they're in ministry. And I told them when they decided to join this church in mission, because now they're a part of our church family, that I wasn't really sure what all WCC could do to actively engage in Echo Family Partners. I mean, we were already doing so many different things and so much that I was just like, bro, I mean, I don't know if we can be that place. But, but I do know what it's like to be in ministry. And I thought to myself, this is a good and faithful family of God. This is a faithful church. I thought to myself, we can love y'all. Well, we can, can't we? Like, we can provide a place for y'all to be y'all where you're not the people in ministry, but where you're just people who are trying to love your family and trying to love the Lord and trying to figure out how to love the church enough to move the church to love the people you love. Uh, and we want to be that home for y'all, and we're grateful. I'm grateful you're here. So um, tell us a little bit about how you landed into this beautiful family that you're in. Oh, I turned it off. Yeah, go ahead. There you go. Dumb luck that I got to be a part of this family, that's for sure. Um, the, um, so our family is, uh, Kelly and I have been <coughs> married for, she's watching the live stream now, so I, I feel a little more pressure to get this right, but you know that I'm not going to get this right, so here we go. Kelly, Six, he was within the margin of error. Yeah. 15 to 17 years there we've we been go. together. There we go. <laughs> but he loves you very much. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, <laughs> we have, uh, we've been together for, you know, th that long, but, um, our, um, our kids range in age from, we have a 20 year old, um, who is, uh, well, soon to be 20 years old, who's a sophomore at Virginia Tech, um, a, uh, 15 year old son, a 13, almost 14 year old daughter, and then our two youngest, um, uh, there, Isla and Anna were, um, brought to, added to our family through adoption. And so, um, so that's kind of how this whole thing is put together. And uh, by the grace of God, I get to be married to that beautiful woman that you see in the picture. And I, I think probably a lot of you think that this is a, that we have sort of a shared custody because you've never seen us both at the same time. Um, but because of the medical needs um, of the two youngest ones, especially the youngest, um, we have um, kept them. Uh, mostly isolated uh, the last few years in, in the home. And so um, things are getting better, and we're hopeful that we'll be able to actually all attend together at the same time. Yeah, and not, that would be nice. Not share custody with the church on Sundays. But we do, but we do see <laughs> you, we do see you at the outdoor things, which is yeah, fun. the we outdoor see things. all of you guys yep. as a part of the outdoor things. It's good yep. to see your family together. So what led you, um, what led you guys into the adoption journey? And then circle us through what led you to do what you've done in terms of Echo Family Partners to call the church more deeply into that same journey. Yeah, so uh, our adoption journey started with um, in 2013, and um, uh, we were uh, pursuing an international adoption with a little girl from uh, China. In fact, at the time, um, the, the process, China at that time did not um, um, have any children placed uh, available for adoption who had um, the condition of Down syndrome. Um, and so the, an agency here in the States said, we think that we can find homes for these children. And they basically said, prove it, prove it. Here's 12 children. So they released 12 children who had a uh, Down syndrome diagnosis and said, prove it. 
And, um, and so Bethany Christian Services worked with a lot of different families to, um, to um, get everybody ready to go to China and, and bring, uh, bring home those sweet little girls. And, uh, and so that's how Isla uh, came into our family. And uh, uh, international adoption is not cheap. And so um, because of that, our church community and our family and our neighbors and our friends really rallied behind us. Uh, just like Stephanie and Larry's story, um, you know, really rallied behind us to, to make it possible. And then two years later, uh, we got a call about Anna. Um, and um, again, um, a diagnosis of Down syndrome and some other medical conditions. And um, they were looking for a family. And, um, and we got invited to, to be a part of that story. And a beautiful story because it's an open uh, adoption internationally. And so we, get a re- we have a relationship with the birth mother. And, um, and she gets to, even though it's across the world, she gets to, to watch her grow and, and all of that. Through that process, we started to hear people say, oh, I can never do what you do. I can never do what you do. And if you've ever walked this road, I see you nodding your head. People say this all the time. And at some point, it gets really annoying because... I don't think that anyone who has walked this path feels special. In fact, I think a lot of times we feel so inadequate. And tired. <laughs> Very tired. Uh, so for people to say that, it feels just like, what in the world do you mean? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And over and over again, we started, we would hear people say this. And at some point, we stopped and said, what, what are they saying? What are people saying, really, beyond what the words are saying? What do they mean when they say, I can never do what you do? And I think what we dis- discovered was that when people say that, they mean, I can never do what you do because I don't feel like I have the support that you have. And what, what we started to ask was, wh- what if we could fix that? What if we could rally churches to recognize the families in their community, in their congregations, to, to say, you have five, six, seven families in your church who want to bring children into their home, but they're not doing it because they don't feel like they've got your, that you don't have their back. And if we can help bring some attention and some awareness and provide some resources to the churches, then those families can say yes. And we either do one of a couple of things, eliminate the need for foster care because bio families and kinship families have the support that they need and don't need to fracture. Or we support the families who want to say yes, and they, can, they are enabled to welcome children into their home and keep those children safe and stable for the duration of time that they need to be there. So that's what... So do y'all catch that? So Echo Family Partnerships has really two lanes. One lane is preventative to try and bring stability to families so that children do not have to be into foster care situation and try and connect kinship. Do y'all with that? And then the other is the one that we probably all can imagine a little more, and that is to help children who do find themselves in foster to find themselves uh, in a family system and encourage churches to be a part of that family system and to support that family through their journey. Right. So what I love is how you guys try to cover both ways. Yeah. And here's here's just one stat of why 50 percent of families will close their homes within within a year because they don't have the support. But 90 percent will stick it out when they do have support. You're talking about foster families. And adopted yeah. Families. Foster families, adopt families. If they have the support they need within six years, 100 families are going to be gone if they don't have support. But in that same amount of time, we actually gain. We end up with 130 something families opening their homes to children consistently year after year after year. That's why support matters. Yeah, yeah. 
So in the world, we have 153 million orphans, according to UNICEF. In the Commonwealth of Virginia, we have what, 5,000? 5,000 kids in foster care. Mm -hmm. And then we drill all the way down. In the United States, we have back up how many? Yeah, about? nearly half a million, 440,000. So half a million, and then mm -hmm. we drill back into James City County, Williamsburg City proper, we have about 35. About 35, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and in our church, we have, and we have more than what I've talked about today. Um, there are other families in our church who have gone through the adoptive process, who are loving children because they are their children um, and a part of their family. And so, you know, statistically, once again, it's one of those stats that I feel like WCC always seems to exceed um, with the data, uh, you know, how things shake out. So why, why WCC, bro? Why did you and Kelly, why did y'all decide to, first off, how did you learn about WCC? Because we have a shared connection. And then why did you guys even decide to call this home? Yeah, so when we, a couple of years ago, when we first um, got introduced to some needs in Williamsburg, um, we were working with the Department of Social Services, and one of the caseworkers there uh, brought a need to us and said, do you think you could help with it? And it was not a complicated need. It was, it was beds and some um, furnishings for a room so that this um, grandmother could retain her children and not lose them, um, um, you know, into the system. And so... Um, and so she reached out. She said, if we can get this need met, then we can stabilize this family and they don't have to enter care. And, uh, and so I said, well, that's great. We don't really have a lot of relationships in, in Williamsburg, James City County yet. And so who have you worked with in the past who you feel like um, would, would step up? And she said, well, do you know Fred Ligon? And I said, well, I've heard this name a couple of times already. S scary thought. <laughs> yeah. I won't tell you the other thing. <laughs> Fred, <so>. please don't. <coughs> Appreciate it. If you um, have you heard Fred Logan? Uh, Williamsburg um, has uh, in Williamsburg. He has been um, uh, an advocate for s so many different um, arenas, and so I thought, well, let me let me just reach out, and um, and so I found uh, found your email address, just a cold call really, and said, hey, here's a need. I was introduced to you. Do you have any way that we could kind of partner and, and make this happen? So it was um, between between here and a couple of other churches actually working together to serve this mother, this grandmother, and to keep the grandchildren safe at home. That was just the the first, and then there were so many others um, that we've that we've been able to partner with over the last couple of years. Yeah, for us it was um, it was about finding a, a place that that really did what Matthew 25 talks about in serving the least of these. Not just saying, here's what we should do. Here's a good idea, church. But actually gave tools and encouragement and exhortation and challenge and pushed us all to do what Matthew 25 says that we should do and serve the least of these. And um, is it okay to say what I said in the first? Say what you said, man. Sure, your story, bro. <laughs> no, well, I know, but it's your story too. So. No, but you're, you, you got the mic. Okay. Yes. So uh, it took us a little while to like really believe that this was real. Um, and so for the first maybe it was a year or so that we kept seeing WCC respond to these requests over and over and over again, sacrificially over and over and over again, that we thought, is this a cult? <laughs> and so because we've always wanted to be part of a cult, <laughs> we decided to come on. Oh my goodness gracious! <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that funny? Like how we frame. Yeah. Um, but it, because it was such a, sh it, it yeah. shouldn't be, and that's a shame. That's right. It, should it be, shouldn't be, be, be such a culture shock to walk into a place and see the church 
acting the way that Jesus called the church to act. And so when, he, when we walked into a place after seeing dozens, 30 to 40 different places in the work that we do, to see so many opportunities for the church to step in to faithfully pursue what Jesus talked about and then to see one that does that so naturally as a part of the culture of this church. And that's the key, the culture of the church. It was so shocking that we had to ask the question. <laughs> Man, I, t- I tell people, like, a lot of people think that 20% of the people do 80% of the work because that's, you know, the organizational data. But in our church, I'm grateful we've done this. The leadership, we've literally mapped out every one of your last names and made connection points to how you're, you're serving in the mission and the purposes of God. And that number is profoundly big. Like it's, it's, there's so much, so many people are doing so many beautiful things. And some, as you heard from Stephanie's letter, some that you never even know about. And I, I didn't ask Stephanie to write any names down. I didn't, um, and I, you know, I, I just wanted, it's her story and Larry's story. But I was really kind of glad she named y'all. For those who were named, I'm sorry, you can take it up with her. Uh, sorry, I did. Um, but it was good because it's one thing to say, and the church helped us. But it's another thing when they start listing out names. And y'all could have kept going. Like name after name after name after name after name after name. And, and it's not that we do it perfectly because we don't. God knows that. But we can do it faithfully. And doing it faithfully means when we do fail, that we ask for forgiveness and we move back around. But here's the thing. You got to be present. You got to be a part of the family. We have to know. We don't know what we don't know. Um, and so we have to move in this together. Um, if, you, if you had a chance, if you had a chance to, and this is the last thing, what would be one thing you wished you could say to churches, these, these other churches? I'm not trying to, but I want to I let you off, let you let your guardrails out. What is something that you really, really, really want to say to a church in all of your candor, but that you don't feel like churches can hear? So I think the bottom line, and then I'll back up, the bottom line is, um, do you care? Do you care? Do you care when you hear this, the need in the community, whatever that is, not just the foster care needs, but whatever the needs are in the community, do you care? As a follower of Jesus, do you care? And the second part of that is prove it. How are you going to prove it? So we can give you all these different ideas about how to prove it, but when we look, what we know is in, in our circles, isolation is the enemy. Mm. But we also know that God puts the lonely in families. Mm. And so if we can embody this, this, this God idea of putting the lonely in families, then we can actually start to move families out of these margins and back toward a community back toward people. And I love how Garrett said it this morning in the big idea that, that home is, home is more than just a structure. Home is people that you love and people who love you. And if we can move people, this is how we prove it. We move people toward hurting and marginalized, just like Jesus did for us, coming down from heaven to our mess. And I think in James 1.27, one of the things that I love about it is if we read it maybe in a different light, it is the way that we keep ourselves pure is by moving into the mess. That's right. That's how it's done. And so I think if there is anything, you know, it is if God is going to set the lonely in families, we have to make sure that those lonely fam- those families don't become lonely families. And so if you are bringing children to your home, awesome. Now, church, we've got to prove it. 
we've got to wrap around these families and make sure that they don't become right. isolated, That's lonely right. families. That's right. That's a good word. And so there are, there are two ways to, there are two things that can motivate this, us, um, and praise man can get back up. Um, that's all right. There are two ways we can motivate this. One, we can be Bible beat into this by some sort of guilt, right? By some sort of like motivation of, I've got to. And that's not sustainable. Um, it'll get us somewhere, but it won't hold us there. What we tried to do this morning is root all of this in the primary belief that we can do this because God has done this for us. Like, this is who we are because of whose we are. Um, sure, it shouldn't be an option. It should be a way of life, and we know that. But the power, the strength, the courage, and the faith to follow through this is literally living inside of us by the Holy Spirit. And then we are brought into a household called a church that is supposed to move like a family that then holds us together so that we aren't doing it then alone that is what it really means to be a christian and that's what it means to be a part of a church and i'm grateful for your witness and i'm grateful for your leadership bro you and kelly and everything y'all are doing um give them a hand y'all you're listening to the podcast of williamsburg christian church a community of faith joining god's pursuit of restoring lives we hope you enjoy this week's podcast